Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Anytime you're in the Huntsville area, we hope you'll stop in and be part of our worship. Sunday morning worship is at 9 o'clock, with Bible class immediately following. Sunday evening worship is at 5. Midweek Bible study is held Wednesdays at 7. Well, good morning, everyone. Our subject of study today is from Colossians chapter 1, and we are in part 2 of Paul's prayer for the Colossians. Last week, we looked at the thanksgiving that that Paul was offering on behalf of them. Uh, One writer had this to say about Paul's prayer, which I think is interesting. Uh, He said, there is a wonderful rush and fervor in the prayers of Paul. No parts of his letter are so lofty, so impassioned, so full of his soul, as when he rises from speaking of God to men to speaking to God for men. As I said, Paul had already thanked the Colossians. Today we see the second part of his prayer, that is, his making of petitions. And in that first part, he praised the Colossians for all that they had accomplished. And here he's praying, in this part as we'll observe, he's praying for even greater things uh, to happen uh, for them. And there are two aspects that I'd like to point out about Paul's prayer. And the first one is that these are petitions that he's seeking God to bless the church there in Colossae. And the second thing about it is there is an emphasis on the spiritual in this prayer uh, versus the material. Now, it's not saying when I say that, that to pray for material or physical things is wrong in any way. It's just that this particular prayer is totally focused on spiritual things. Now, in order to get started, I think Uh, First of all, I have to take this cough drop because I can feel my voice starting to fade. There's some terminology. The three words that he uses in verse 9 of chapter 1, he says, For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. So I think it's time to, or it's appropriate to spend just a moment thinking about the, uh, the definitions or the meanings of these words. And we know, I think, that first of all, knowledge has to do with facts. It has to do with the things that we know. And I would suggest that that's not just facts, but it goes beyond facts. It, it goes to knowing of principles. Uh, as well. The second thing is wisdom, and that's not just having facts and knowledge, knowing things, but is comprehending them and being able to put them to a practical use. And then there's understanding, and understanding is going even a step further, and specifically he's talking about spiritual understanding here. I don't think we uh, have any doubt about that. And he's talking about taking the knowledge and the wisdom that's been acquired 
and applying it to very real world situations in the spiritual lives of those folks there in Colossae, and for all of us for that matter. And if you'll notice, there's a progression in this from knowing to having wisdom to comprehend and then the understanding to apply that to real life. So he's asking for God to bless them with progress, with growth. And it goes far beyond just knowing facts and, and even knowing them accurately. He's, he wants them to grow in God's sight. So he's focusing here, as I said, on spiritual things. There's two aspects about Paul's prayer that I want to point out to you, and those, again, are in verse 9. For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. So he's praying based on what he had heard, probably from Epaphras, maybe others, uh, and he had thanked God for that, and now he wants to go further in his prayer because of what he's heard about them and the good works that they're doing. And the nature of his prayer is such that it is with regularity. And of course that speaks to the what should be the nature of our own prayers. He uses the word uh, do not cease or uh, being unceasing, unceasing uh, in his prayers. And as I read this, uh, I get <clears throat> perhaps just a little sense of or feeling of urgency on Paul's part. And I think we'll see that further in subtle ways as we go through the book. Uh, I think he's, he's heard about this false teaching that is either alive and well or is threatened there. And I think he feels a sense of urgency to see these people progress in the right direction as opposed to falling prey to the false teachers uh, that they were confronted with there. So, let's dig into the prayer. There are four elements, and I've used a little bit of alliteration to characterize these. He uses three of these word, these W words in his prayer, and I'd like to read that, verses 9 through 12. If you will read with me in Colossians 1. For this reason... We also, and since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and ask, ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that you will walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints of light. We talked a little bit about wisdom already, uh, and as indicated uh, on the slide, uh, it's understanding, comprehending wisdom to the degree that uh, you're able to apply it, and then the understanding is applied in, in real situations where one's judgment and understanding is required. So I've lumped all three of those, really, wisdom, knowledge, wisdom, and understanding into this one word, wisdom. And he talks about the worthy walk, and we'll talk more about each one of these 
uh, as we go through. And of course, he's referring to lifestyle or the conduct of life when he talks about their walk. It's a common phrase or word that Paul uses in his letters. And then there's the word wait. And I had to come up with that one. I had to make up the W for that one. But I think it does involve waiting because he's suggesting to them that they need to develop patience, long-suffering, and that will lead to joy and thanksgiving. Then he, he talks about work. And he uses four continuous action participles. All that means is these are words of action and they're used in the present tense continuing mode of action. So he prays for them to be fruitful, to increase in knowledge, to be strengthened, and ultimately to give thanks. So he uses these to describe the works that he's talking about uh, for them. And the ultimate result should be the results of the waiting, that they'll develop patience, long-suffering, and that will lead them to joy and thanksgiving. So let's break these down further in, in some detail. We've already looked at these three, knowledge, wisdom, spiritual understanding. Uh, <clears throat> and the word that he uses there for the word knowledge is one that's not just simple knowledge, but he adds a prefix in front of it that suggests the idea of complete and accurate knowledge. He wants them, and especially in light of this false teaching that may have been teaching things about Christ and his nature that was totally wrong, he wants them to have a complete understanding of the nature of Christ, which we'll get into talking about next week. He wants them to have a knowledge to apply these things and an understanding to apply them. And in 2 Timothy chapter 3, this is a familiar passage to us, verses 16 and 17, speaking about the inspiration of the Scripture. But it tells us in that passage that Scripture is the means whereby we become fully equipped. That is, we are fully able to carry out God's will. We have the knowledge, we have the wisdom, we have the understanding. And then the spiritual understanding that he's talking to them about, uh, the ability to analyze, to deduce, to bring together. The very word itself comes from a compound word that means to send together. So taking information, taking knowledge, and sending that together in a way so that it's properly applied. And the results, of course, the outcome of that should affect one's conduct, one's worthy walk, if you will. So all of these things tie together and lead into uh, the next stage. And he wants them, I think, in light of this false teaching that they're uh, confronted with, to be able to make these things directly applicable to the situation that they're being faced with. So he's praying for wisdom, knowledge, wisdom, understanding. The next thing that he's praying for them is to that they walk in a worthy way, in a worthy manner. And of course, we know this is the same word we apply when we talk about taking the Lord's Supper to do it, not unworthily, 
but in a worthy manner. So it's, it's an adverb that talks about the manner in which one does something. Uh, and it, the word itself conveys the idea, of, again, of completeness, being completely worthy. Uh, and I know the thought that might be going through some minds is, well, there's no way that I can be worthy, truly. But we can, in our walk, in our conduct, do the very best to our understanding, do the very best that we possibly can, and do the very best that we can to show others Jesus Christ, to look like Jesus when we walk around, when we are in our uh, daily affairs. Now, one question that I want to ask, and I hope to get some response from this, and speaking of being worthy, what do you think that we have to do in order to be completely worthy? What would you do as a Christian to feel or to be or to be counted as completely worthy? Our brother Glenn points out that We may want to, but we can't because we can never be totally deserving. But if I get past that, if I somehow convince myself, I I know I'll never be deserving, but still I want to do something. I want to do something that reflects a worthy life. What What would that be? How would I reflect worthiness in my in my in our lives? How would we do that? Brother Bill suggesting to us that we need to reflect on what we're going to do, what we're going to say. And I think behind what he's saying is he's talking about thinking on Christian principles, on thinking on God's will, and let that guide us going forward. Any other thoughts? Is it consistent with walking in the light? Yes, I think it is. It is consistent with the idea of walking in the light, in the word. In Jesus Christ. Yeah, absolutely. Great point. My brother Glenn makes some excellent points also. That he cites the example of Peter denying Christ and certainly being unworthy in that moment. But uh, our being worthy is, is not, again, to uh, live in perfection but it is to, to the best of our ability, reflect what God's will is, what Jesus means to us. And of course, Peter in that moment, he was far away from being a worthy servant. Uh, yes, Brother Jeff. Yeah, that Brother Glenn points out verse 12 where it uses the terminology, God has qualified us. Even though we can't deserve it, We can't do anything to deserve it. God, on the other hand, in his power and omnipotence and his will, he qualified us anyway. Uh, And Jeff points out that uh, the the power of the word should reflect reflect or be reflected in the conduct uh, of our lives. Uh, 
Then in also, we'll talk about this a little bit more. He goes on in, in verse 10, and he says this about the motive or the goal that should uh, compel one. He says we should do it in verse 10 in order to be fully pleasing to Christ. Not worthy, but doing the best that we can, to the best of our understanding, as Brother Glenn pointed out, using the gifts that God has given each of us individually to live the life that we can. And in fact, the role that God has given us to live in this life. So this idea of fully pleasing, I think, carries with it the idea of having a desire as well. Uh, And certainly if one is going to be worthy of Christ, he has to have the desire to do so. I know that uh, some of us are aware of and remember when we uh, were being launched into the world or perhaps even younger by our parents, when we left the home, they would often remind us, remember who you are. Remember, you wear this family's name. Don't do anything to dishonor that name. Now, we wear Jesus' name. We should, in a worthy walk, not do anything that would dishonor his name. Now, again, as Brother Glenn points out, that's impossible for us sinners. But still, our parents wanted us, to the best of our ability, not do anything to dishonor the family name just as we should not dishonor Jesus' name in our our walk, in our conduct. It should be fully pleasing. Well, let's talk a little bit more about work. The work that's involved in this worthy walk. Uh, What is it? How do we do it? Uh, What is involved in this? And remember that that word worthy really is worthily, perhaps. It's an adverb, I think, is a better word. Or maybe the words we would use, it would be fitting or appropriate. Uh, and again, mom and dad told us, tell, has told us to do things that are appropriate to the family name, uh, not bring reproach, not bring dishonor. And he uses four action words, as I mentioned earlier, to talk about the nature of this worthy work. And I'm going to talk about a couple of them on this slide, and the next slide will have the other two. The first one he talks about is being fruitful in every good work. And I would point out in the language, embedded in the languages, this is in the active voice. That means it's something that I do, that we do, either individually or collectively as a a congregation of God's people. So this is an action on our part that we're called to do. We're called to be fruitful in our role, in our walk, in our worthy walk. We're not worthy of Christ if we're not bearing fruit for him. He tells them also that they should be increasing, or he's praying for them to be increasing in knowledge in verse 10 as well. Now the fruitfulness that he talks about actually leads to 
increase or growth in understanding of God's will and God's word for us. But interestingly, as I said, the word uh, being fruitful is in the active voice. This word, this term is in the passive voice, meaning that's something that's done to us, to me. God is the one who does the strengthening. He does it through his word. He does it through life experiences. He does it through his providence. Uh, And of course, the part, the role that we play in that is submission. We have to be willing to submit to his will, to his uh, power and willingness to increase us in knowledge. The other two words that he uses here, the first one is to be strengthened with all might. Uh, Here, he's talking again uh, in the passive voice. This is something that God does in strengthening us. And the might that he's talking about there is God's might. It's his ability uh, not only to enable us because of his word, because of his will, through his providence, through life's experiences. Uh, And he wants the end result of that to be achieving patience, understanding, uh, and long and long suffering, and joy. Now, I've listed four scriptures here, and I I haven't put the words up that go with those, but I will in just a moment. But I want to ask you uh, the question: Do you believe that God strengthens you? Do you believe? Certainly you believe that God has the ability to do it, but do you believe that he does it? And if so, how does he do it? How do you think God strengthens us? And feel free to look up these passages if you want to. They talk about some of the ways, probably not all of them, but What are your thoughts about what does God do to strengthen us? I've hinted at some of those. Okay. Through a study of the word, like in this class, in that very powerful sermon that we heard from Brother Glenn. I'm sorry. Yeah, he gave us a mind to have the knowledge Achieve wisdom and understanding. Yep. Trials and tribulations. Yep. And already we've observed a little bit earlier in Colossians chapter 1 that he uses the gospel. Again, in this class, in sermons, in our own study, using our own brain. I think I saw Yeah, yeah, by faith. Okay, other thoughts? Encouragement by other Christians. Exactly. Some of the other things mentioned in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, you're probably familiar, that's where Paul talks about his thorn in the flesh. And what did God say to him in answer to his prayer to take it away? God said, 
My grace is sufficient. That's all you need, Paul. You don't need to have all your physical problems fixed. In fact, maybe some of this suffering is good. And there are other passages we could cite. Also, temptations, trials, James chapter 1, as Brother Glenn mentioned there. And in Hebrews, he uses discipline. God chastens, he disciplines those that he loves, his children. Uh, if, if he didn't, he wouldn't love us. Then the fourth element of this, uh, of the work involved in walking a worthy life is the giving of thanks. Uh, thanksgiving, I think we would all agree, is a, is a characteristic of a, spiritual, of a spirit-filled life. Uh, in fact, chapter 3, verse 17 of Colossians says, And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That uh, expression in reference to God the Father reminds us, uh, as we're told in other places, uh, specifically Ephesians 1, that our, our thanks, our praise should be to the Father, the Son, and the Spirit because of what they do for us, because of all they've done for us. And then he goes on <clears throat> and he uses another uh, and that is, rather, here he uses an active voice terminology. That's something that we do, that I do, that is, to give thanks. Uh, it's my role, my responsibility to live, to express in my life, in my words, thankfulness uh, to God for what he's done for us. And then as pointed out already, in verse 12, it says he's qualified us. He's qualified us by our baptism into Christ. And he's qualified us, according to verse 12, also to share in an inheritance that he has for us. And that word qualified means to make us sufficient. God has made us sufficient despite all our flaws, despite our inability to really be totally worthy of his grace, of his love, of his mercy. He's qualified us. He's made us sufficient. And we know the basis of that sufficiency. It is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that has done that. So all of these four words, uh, all these expressions are words of growth of spiritual, of achieving spiritual growth. And uh, they are involving both God's action and our own actions uh, in order to achieve being fruitful, being strengthened, and ultimately to live a worthy and thankful and joyous life. Then the next <clears throat> W term that we'll go to is the word wait. Wait on the Lord in verse 
uh, 11 that's found there. And he uses uh, three attitudes that he wants them to develop. Patience, long-suffering, and joy or joyfulness. The purpose of being strengthened in Christ, of working in Christ, enduring suffering, enduring trials, uh, the end result that God wants for us is that we develop patience, that we develop long-suffering. Patience has, in my understanding anyway, has more to do about how we put up with the situations, the circumstances of life, whereas long-suffering has more to do with how we put up with other people. Uh, And we all know that we have both situations and sometimes challenging people to... uh, to deal on. And, he, and Paul is praying that these people develop these things, these attitudes, uh, and all a part of leading to the ultimate goal that he's talking about of giving of thanks, living a life of thankfulness, uh, and in order to be a, a partaker. This we made some reference to earlier, verse 12. And uh, let's look at it uh, just a little bit more in, in some detail. Uh, this is, this, this term qualified, as I said, means for God to make us sufficient, make us suitable to Him to, uh, so that we can be the recipients of this inheritance. He qualified us uh, to be partakers is the word that's used there, the idea of sharing in the inheritance. And as we know, and specifically I would say in the life of this congregation, in our life in Christ, we know about the power of the relationships that we share in Christ. And he talks about some of those in verses 13 and 14. Says there where it says, and notice these four words which I've highlighted. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. So these are things that we share as Christians. God has delivered us. What does that mean? I think it means he's rescued us. That would be another word that we could use. In fact, the word apparently had its origin in the idea of a prisoner being rescued or released from captivity. And unlike perhaps a prisoner who's in jail and has suddenly sprung loose, we have to be willing, we have to volunteer in effect to be rescued. It's not something that God is going to force on us. But these are the things that God does to qualify us, to start us on the road to salvation. He first of all delivers us, he rescues us from the power of darkness. In other words, uh, from that which is the wrong direction for our life, 
so that we have before us a road that uh, can lead to that inheritance that he speaks of. The second thing that he talks about is being conveyed, or I think some translations use the word translated or transferred. It simply means being changed from one situation to another situation or another place. And again, God is the one that does that. He's the one that rescues us. He's the one that conveys us into the kingdom. And that brought a question to my mind that I'd like to ask you to think about just for a moment with me. Why? Why did God convey us into his kingdom? Why did he do that? What's the reasoning behind that? And of course, I realize some of this has to be we're, we're trying to outguess God perhaps, but there are some clues in Scripture. Why did God place us in a kingdom? Why do it that way? I'm sorry? Love? Yes. Yes, that's right. He loved us. Our acceptance and obedience. All right. Why else? What is there? Who is there in the kingdom to benefit us, to benefit me. Who else is there? Other Christians? Jesus Christ our Lord is there. I think He's the King. We know He's the King. I think a very important reason that He put us in a kingdom is because Christ is there. He wants us to be with His Son. Do you think of some other reasons maybe that, that God may have placed us in a kingdom? Brother James points out the spiritual battle that's going on. And uh, Christ wants us to be victorious. And in order for us to be victorious, we need to be, if we're going to be in the battle, we need to be in the battle with Him. Do you think some other other? Other, let me ask you that. Yes, I think that's a good point. Sister uh, Cindy points out that all of the kings outside of Jesus Christ were imperfect; they were flawed in some way. But in Christ, in His kingdom, we have the perfect King, the perfect leader, the perfect one to guide us. I think of one other reason, and, and we could probably go on, but what is the gateway to the eternal kingdom? The only gateway is Christ's kingdom. So I would uh, suggest that God placed us there in part because it's the gateway to eternity. Some other terms that he uses in this is, uh, he says, you have been redeemed and you have forgiveness. That word have connotes the idea that you have it. You have it now and you have it tomorrow. The only reason you won't have it, that I won't have it, is if I give it up. It's It's a present tense verb, and it means that uh, 
I have it now. Uh, it is who I am. I have, I am redeemed. I am forgiven. And all of these are relationships that we share in Christ. We're delivered. We're conveyed into a kingdom that has a very special nature. And we are redeemed and we're forgiven. Now, what are some applications that we might make to us as we think back over this? Well, you know I'm going to use the four W words, right? Wisdom, walking, worthy work, and wait. Uh, We need to be unceasing in our own prayers, I would suggest, for these four things as well as other things that we pray for, that we have the wisdom to deal with sometimes very stressful challenging, difficult situations, that we are able to the best of our ability that God will strengthen us with wisdom, with strength, with his might, with the people around us, with life circumstances, so that we can indeed walk in a worthy way, a way that doesn't shame Jesus Christ. And with that we are able to do the work uh, that's involved, that we produce fruit, that we're thankful, that we are growing, that we're increasing because of that's what God sees in us. He sees the value. He sees someone that's trying, that's endeavoring, and therefore he's willing to invest himself by strengthening us through his word, through life experiences, through the spirit that resides in us through having one another, through the experiences that we have here. And the final thing that I would suggest besides prayer for growth is that I hope we can all be ever, forever aware of what we have in this amazing relationship in the kingdom, in the church of Jesus Christ. I know we've all been blessed in many ways by our association with one another. And I suspect that it's easy in some ways, particularly being a part of this West Huntsville Church of Christ, this congregation. It's not as challenging perhaps as some to be aware of how blessed we are, how much of a blessing we have in one another. And of course, in the fact that God has qualified us And because of his son, we're redeemed, we're forgiven. I uh, didn't spend the time in this lesson, but I did prepare a list of personal traits of praying, of prayer. And these are all exhibited in Paul's various prayers. Uh, There are, to some degree, Uh, suggested in the passage that we've looked at, Colossians 9 through 14. Uh, It's it's not a totally comprehensive list by any means, but perhaps one for us to uh, give some thought to. Paul's prayers are powerful, and I think they have some powerful lessons for us. Next week, we're going to talk about what I think is the golden nugget of the book of Colossians, 
the supremacy, the all-sufficiency of Jesus Christ. I think that's where Paul is heading, and I think that's a chief point that he wants us to understand from this book. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, we're, we're grateful to you for all that you've done. Help us, Father, to indeed be able to earnestly and sincerely pray the prayer that Paul has offered, that we are indeed prayerful for our growth, for our wisdom, for our understanding, that we can be strengthened through what you do, what you provide for us, through the power, the might of your will and your word. Father, we pray that you would help us every day to be strong enough to walk so that we indeed are not deserving but to live the worthy life that you would have us to live. Thank you, Father, for the fact that we are redeemed, that we are forgiven. Thank you for the love that makes this possible. In Jesus Christ, amen. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word. If you would like to continue your study of New Testament Christianity, please send your name and address to World Bible School, West Huntsville Church of Christ, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Or if you prefer, send your name and address by email to wbs at westhuntsville.org.